Welcome to season three of the Pensacola People's Podcast, where we interview impactful people in our area. Welcome to a very special edition of the Pensacola People's Podcast. We are joined by an incredible woman. This year, the theme of Women's History Month is celebrating women who tell our stories. My name is Ilana Milhouse-Smith. My name is Rachel Alina Mondry. We are joined by an incredible journalist, entrepreneur, and professor. She has won a Pulitzer Prize and the Polk Award, was named one of Essence Magazine's Woke 100, is the co-author of more than 35 books, and has over 3 million listeners on her SiriusXM show. We are incredibly honored to welcome Professor Hunter. Good morning. Hi, ladies. Welcome and thank you. Welcome to, to this space as well. Thank Hi. you. Okay. Um, please tell us a little bit about yourself, including your parents. Mm, wow. Okay. We're just going to jump in with, with the tough questions. <laughs> uh, so my parents, uh, Marge and Don, uh, my, mom, my mom is from Augusta, Georgia. And my father is from Newark, New Jersey, born and raised in Newark, New Jersey. And uh, they met because my father went to school in South Carolina at an HBCU, Allen University, because he couldn't attend Seton Hall because they did not allow black people at the time that he applied. And so he went down South to school and met my mother through her brother who worked with my dad at a, um, they called it a reform school back then, but you know, a, a youth, uh, youth empowerment facility, that's what I'll call it. Uh, and uh, he invited my dad home and uh, that they met and fell in love and fast forward. That's how I got here after <laughs> they met two years later. Yes. Okay. Um, our teacher says that when we interview authors, Professor Hunter, what are you reading? And do you think that what you're reading is a book that every middle, middle schooler should read? Mm. Mm, no. <laughs> but uh so I'm reading several I read several books at once I'm reading The Debt by Randall Robinson which uh is a book that deals with reparations uh, Randall Robinson is an amazing uh I want to call him a historian even though he's so much more than that uh journalist uh his his brother Max Robinson also venerable journalist uh but this book looks at the history of this country and how there is a debt owed to those who were formerly enslaved, the ancestors of them, which I'm among. I'm reading that book. I'm also reading a book by a woman named Jenny, G-I-N-N-I Rometty, R-O-M-M-E-T-T-Y, I think it is. She was a former head of IBM. So she has a book called Good Power, which maybe you should read because it kind of gives a blueprint for how those of you, you two probably going to be very powerful uh, in the future uh, if you're not already. But what our responsibility is, those of us in power to serve people, to build community. So I'm reading that and I, I'm about to download a novel uh, by Edwidge Dandicott. So uh, I'm definitely going to read one of her books this this uh, cycle. So I try to read at least while well, I'm on this uh, 40 day journey, every 40 days, I'm reading three books. So, oh, that's a, that's a really good goal. That's, I like that. I really yeah. like that too. It's hard to just like set reading goals, but when you have something like that cycle, it seems like you can really get it done. Yeah. What are you guys reading? Uh, we read like band books here at our school. Oh, Oh, your your school is reading banned books. Yes. What is okay? Come on through. Like so, tell <laughs> me. All right. So so, Rachel, what what is what are you reading currently? So in eighth grade, we recently read um, "To Kill a Mockingbird." Do you see this over my shoulder? Do you yes, ma'am. Yes. Who is the author of Harper this? Harper Lee. Yeah. And um, actually, I have right under here. Uh, let me hold on. Hold on. This is a book that I keep in my. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, no, that's a good one. That's a good one. I love heart relief. And I think it's really important to not censor um, books because I think that's when you really start the downfall of society when you're controlling what other people are taking in as knowledge. Okay, so your school is not in trouble for what state? You must not be in Florida or Texas. We are in Florida. Florida. We're in Florida. We're a private school. We're a private school. 
so you can do you can do what as you, you can do what you please. Okay, all right, come on through, subversive Floridians. I love it. There's <laughs> hope after all. Uh, Ilana, what are you reading? Um, so for our class, we read we're reading. Um, well, I read for my group. We read the book Thief, which I thought was really good. Um, and then I kind of when I finished reading the book, I had a different perspective on the world especially when we visited the holocaust museum last yeah. week so that was a very powerful book to me yeah i i um i think it's super important that we not just never forget because that that is a a um a mantra that should be our societies you know but to see other people and the things that they go through should allow us to empathize, which is why erasing, you know, history and the things that make us uncomfortable, which is where we are right now. We don't want anyone to feel bad, but we should feel something, you know, sure. reading the diary of Anne Frank, reading Mouse, reading the book thief, reading, uh, you know, watching, you know, Schindler's List or um, as I, when I was growing up, it was Sorbibor and playing for time. And Roots, Roots were, that was the fifth grade, were on television, like mm -hmm. broadcast widely. And I remember being so physically ill that I couldn't go to school with certain scenes because I was, I, my mind wouldn't shut off. But that was good because it made me feel for other people and in a way that we should. So good, good for your school. What's the name of your school? I want to. Creative Learning Academy. Okay. Creative learning. I need to reach out to your principal. Uh, All right. Okay. Continue. So you started your career as a journalist. Who was your mentor? And did you face challenges being a young female black journalist? Mentor. Okay. Um, I guess my mentors were Oprah and Diane Sawyer. You know, like if I'm thinking about it that way, because that's where I wanted to to lead myself into like broadcast journalism. But I started as a journalist, as a sports writer, because it paid more than being a, just a reporter. So when I got my first job out of college, I had an option to take the sports editor's position, which I didn't know what that meant, or they had a reporter's job. And I was like, well, A, editors seem to be people making decisions. I like that. I don't like people telling me what to do. I don't know if you do either. I'd rather tell people what to do than to have. So editors tell people what to do. I like that. And then it paid like $35 more. So I took that job. And as a woman in sports at the time, this was the 1980s before you were even thought about, probably before your parents were even thought about, I... There were very few women, period, right? And actually I was the only one at that particular paper. And then I went to the Star-Ledger and there was only two of us. And then when I got to the Daily News, there was only two of us. And I was the only black woman in all of those positions. And what I learned early is that there's an advantage to being different, you know, um, going into the locker rooms. At the time, we, we had to go into the locker rooms. Now they bring the athletes out, they're clothed, you know, they're smelling good. They're showered. You know, mm -hmm. back then you would be in a locker room. Showers are going on. People are in the, in the locker room taking showers and you had, to, you know, so it was un uncomfortable, but I also realized if I'm professional, if I'm there to get a story, not to gawk that I can distinguish myself. And I did, you know, so it allowed me to build, but I didn't have any role models because nobody, there were, there were no black women doing sports that I could talk to or even see when I was out there. Um, so I was, wow. I was like, yeah, it was and in New York, New York daily news, the post, there was no, no, the Newsday, the New York times later had a woman named Lisa Olson, but I predated her. And there was a woman that worked with me at the daily news in high school sports um, named Diane Bruno, who is now uh, she, she passed away. Uh, she had Crohn's disease, but I um, I couldn't really talk to her because she looked at me as her competition, which is another thing. Um, ladies, Rachel and Ilana, there are, there are no co competitors. 
everybody is on their own path. Everybody has their own journey. They're only uh, folk that you can collaborate with. I look at every single person as a potential collaborator. They don't know I'm abundant, so I don't have to worry about someone taking my job or stealing my ideas. But she saw me as a competitor as opposed to uh, a sister, which would have made us so much more powerful if we worked together. But, you know, uh, that's how I, you know, I learned from that too, that, you know, you don't have to compete with people. As a matter of fact, it's so much better to work with people. You get so much further together than you do fighting for space. Yes. How did that make you feel? And how did you overcome those challenges? Um, two things shocking, uh, having my boss tell me I was only there because I was black because, uh, the daily news had been sued. That was stunning. I was like, who talks like that? You know, why would you tell me that? You know? And it, it made me first, I was hurt. And then I got angry in a good way. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then I decided to, uh, rub his face in my goodness. I mean, so the two things can happen. If someone tells you, Basically, what he was telling me is I'm not there because I'm talented. You're only here because you're black. I could have taken that and felt like, oh, he's right. And then had kind of like this inferiority complex where I was, you know, fighting to be, you know, like validated or which is the way I took it, because I've always felt um, really amazing. Like, I, I, you know, I was born in this body where I always like I'm going to try I'm going to back up a little bit. Being young, I was 5'10", you know, in the sixth grade at 12. I don't know. How old are you two? I'm 14. I'm 12. I'm about to turn 13. Okay. So I was 5'10". I was like taller than my teacher in the fourth grade, in the fifth grade, in the sixth. I was the tallest. I wore a size 10 shoe at age 10. And so I was always different. But there was there was this sense really early on that I'm okay, you know, like I I don't have to beg you to to like me. So once once I got over needing to be liked, then it was like, what can I do? What else can I do? What else can I try? What else can I, you know? Uh, so I skipped the sixth grade because I thought about it. My friends were in the eighth grade. I don't need to be in the seventh grade with these kids. I don't even hang out with them because you know I was big for my age. So I asked the principal to skip me. I had this whole plan, like, I, I, here are my grades, here's how well I've been doing, plus socially, you know, I had a whole speech prepared, and I presented it on a Friday, on a Monday, she walked me into the eighth grade with two other students, right, who also had good grades, I guess she had to, you know, bring them along, but that wasn't their journey, it was my journey, they didn't end up finish, finishing college, they didn't end up going on to, to doing anything successfully because that wasn't something that they asked for. That was what I asked for. She grouped them in because I guess she had to justify on paper. They're also grade-wise in the same, you know, grouping. So I can't just skip her and not skip them. But I was like, I didn't care that they got skipped, you know, like, you know, some kids might be like, why are they with, I was like, that's fine. As long as I got what I wanted out of this situation. But I also learned that you know, people are always, you know, they may underestimate you. They may never see you for all that you are, but as long as you're comfortable with you, it's going to be okay. So when the guy said to me, you're only here because you're black. I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Why would you say that? Okay. Now I have to show you. So I went out and it made me double down. So I came back two weeks later. I think I had a front page story on a, on a homeless basketball player okay, that was unhoused that ended up on the front page of the Sunday New York Daily News, which circulated at that time a million copies. And everybody in the newsroom was buzzing, oh, she's a phenom. And you know, and so I was like, yes, this is what black people do. And I said that to him. And he was like, <laughs> I've been here 30 years and I've never had a front page piece. I said, maybe you should work a little harder. Like that fit <laughs> into, you know, it was like, okay, you tried to diminish me, but now I'm gonna double down and show you. But I think sometimes people can get crushed and I think maybe people try to crush people because they're afraid. They're afraid that maybe they're not up to up to par. And I don't think we teach that enough too. If somebody is diminishing you, it's because they don't feel worthy. If someone is trying to, to, to undermine you is because they're afraid that you might be better than them. And maybe that's scary. I don't know. Did I answer your question? I hope I did. Yes. Thank you. <laughs>
Um, what inspired you be to become a journalist? Uh, as I meant, thirty-five extra dollars. No, um, <laughs> my, my mother was like, "Get up, get up! You have to get a job. You have a degree." And I didn't have any clue what I wanted to do. I have an English. I love to read and write, so mm -hmm. that's number one. Um, always, you could find me with a book. Um, every week. I would take my little allowance and go buy a book at the time. Barnes and Nobles was open right up the street. And I could ride my bike to the bookstore and get a paperback. And so I did. I would buy a book every every other week and I could write pretty well. I was told that. So what job can you get where you can read and then write? You know, English majors, your job is to take the information, disseminate it, you know, break it down, analyze it. That's the same skill as a journalist, except now you're adding um, truth to it. And there's a mission. Journalists have a mission, uh, which is eroded. It's not here anymore. But the mission of a journalist is to take in all of the things that are important and then make it really simple for people to understand and make sure that it's factual. That's a journalist, right? Like there's a lot of things happening at the same time, right? right. Banks yeah. are closing. There's maybe a former president's going to jail. There's another former president. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's there's crypto. Is there crypto? There's there there's like wars. There's a there's all these things going on in the Middle East. How do you make sense of it? Well, journalists are supposed to say, "Hey, here's what's happening, and here's why it's important, and I'm gonna give you the facts, and then you come to your conclusion, right?" Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen too much now everyone's telling you what to think yeah for sure. to give you give you the information I love that I love that and I love being able to take like the kid that was homeless unhoused take stories no one's even checking for mm -hmm. and bringing them to light so to take that kid that every single reporter in New York passed over, didn't ask him that next question, didn't find out, you know, so tell me about your mom. Like you asked me, so, you know, how's this impact? How does she, and then he reveals, cause he felt comfortable that, yeah, I'm living in a shelter. What? Number one player in the, in the whole city living in a shelter. How come no one's ever, no one's ever told this story. I'm gonna tell this story. School shooting. Okay. We go out two students have been killed by another student. Everyone's doing the obvious story, but I'm looking around. Is there a kid in this crowd? Is the crowd is, you know, in Brooklyn, they're looking, they're all, you know, has anybody been shot? Has anybody been impacted? I find a kid in the crowd who had been shot, showed me the bullet wound in his arm, 16 years old, football player. I'm telling his story, right? I go back to his home, meet with his mom. So that's, to me, that's the job that you know, if not for me, those stories don't get told. And that feels important. So yeah, that's inspiring. There's something so special about taking the stories that aren't told and you being able to do something with them and bring magic to that. Yes, that's, I think that's the job, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone listen, listening, you live somewhere. What are the stories in your town? that no one's talking about that are important to you, right? I tell my students this, you know, if it's important to you, then it's important. So find a way to magnify the thing that you know is important that no one's talking about. For sure. Who is one of the most interesting people that you've interviewed? I know, I know you've mentioned the boy, um, the basketball player a few times. Um, is he the most interesting one in your opinion or you have more no i mean i don't i don't you know it's like um you ask your parents who's your favorite um child oh you know? i see i see well that's I don't, yeah you know to to do that you know to 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 place interesting on i've interviewed everyone from you know heads of state you know everyone from Stacey Abrams to Kamala Harris to you know there's a lot of interesting people I think you know for me it's like what's the mission that I'm currently in like I just um I sat for three hours with a with a professor from Clark Atlanta named uh Dr. Daniel Black who has a, a new book out called Black on Black and he wrote a book called The Coming I find him so interesting because he's helping me think about like my relationship to God and all I'm like you know not just me the the whole audience like his, the way that he perceives the world is just so different 
And so right now he's the most interesting, but you know, tomorrow I can interview somebody and they could be, you know, it's like everyone, I feel like everyone has something that's interesting about them to put it in, in the qualified, like this is the most interesting, I think kind of doesn't allow us to sit with all of the goodness that we're getting from everybody. Like, I don't even want to, you know, for sure. Yeah. Everyone that I talk with has something of value that makes them that's great to hear because some reporters these days are just looking for that interesting piece of whatever the story is, but you're really out there for the whole story. So that really is what makes you a great reporter and a great journalist. Well, yeah, used to be. So uh, I don't, I don't consider myself a journalist journalist anymore because uh-huh. I have an agenda. I right? see. Uh-huh. So journalists should not have an agenda. Journalist's agenda, whole agenda should be truth. Okay. I don't, I have an agenda, you know? So when I interview people, I have a purpose. I'm trying to shape the conversation around humanity. I want people to think more deeply about their role in making the world better. So I'm leaning in, like I'm putting my thumb on the scale. I'm, I'm not just interviewing for facts anymore. I'm interviewing for heart and minds and like how can we change this world for the better uh so i'm not a journalist on the radio at all um do you ever get starstruck by the people you interview because i know you've interviewed like some musicians i'm a musician i like to sing i perform and stuff um and i i love tamia so how did you get like through an interview with her without fangirling uh, cause, uh, everybody, uh, puts on their clothes and they shower and they go to the bathroom and nobody is more important than anybody else. And, um, yeah, I don't fan out over anybody because we're all human and we all have talents, all of us, mm-hmm. all of us, all of us, right. Just because somebody has a talent that you wish you had. And I think that's what it comes from. Like, oh, this person is so great at this thing that I can't do. So we put people on pedestals, which I think we should stop doing. Not that we don't honor their talents and their gifts, but nobody should be on a pedestal, Mm -hmm. meaning that they are above anybody else. So that makes it real easy, right? Because what you learn when you actually, like I've done books with celebrities, that's a whole different experience than just interviewing a celebrity because you're spending time with them, their family, and you, what you learn is they're human. Yeah. They're just like you and me. Sometimes worse because a lot of times if they come into fame too early, they don't develop. Mm-hmm. So now you're dealing with the, the facade of what you think is all of that. But behind that is a lot of insecurity and a lot of, you know, fears, the same things that you have, but it's magnified because they got to cover it up with, mm-hmm. you know, the, the public face. And it's a lot of sadness and loneliness too. So you you start to realize, man, they can't just move freely about the world the way you can. How sad is that? They can't just have friendships the way you have because everybody now, they have to question what, what they're doing here. How fully developed can they be if everybody's watching them? Wow, that's sad. I never want to be famous. Never. Never. It's, it's it, No, ooh, no, 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 no. You, you lose yourself in the fame and then the worst thing is to be famous and then you're broke which happens a lot too right a lot of people you you think they don't have any money but everybody knows it and then you got to keep up the you know it's like people can't imagine who's the guy from the cosby show who was working in trader joe uh jeffrey owens he he was in on the cosby show for you know he played uh the the husband of one of the daughters and he's working at trader joe's because he's got to feed his family and then somebody takes a picture of him and does a video and they're ridiculing this man who is working to feed his family because he used to be famous one day you know once upon a time or he was you know on a big number one show in the country i was like that's awful like Mm -hmm. And but that's our expectation, right? Somehow, if you are on television, you should be rich forever, which no. is unreasonable, right? Completely. Money's so gonna run no. out fast. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I said money's gonna run out fast, so Quickly. don't. Yes. What What do you guys? Uh, I don't want to ask you what do you want to be when you grow up, but 
you know, what, what, what impact do you want to have on society? Ilana, I'll start with you. Um, well, I, I just want to inspire other people to, cause I know a lot of my friends, they have stage fright. So I want, I want to make sure that people don't have that. And they know that once, once you're on the stage, you can't, can't really go off. So it's like, and if you're nervous, it's okay. I I get nervous all the time when I'm about to do my thing on stage. And it, it it's, I would just say, it's okay. Like, I mean, stage fright is something that is, that can be put behind you. Well, it also makes you human. So you sing, you sing, and do you play an instrument as well? I, I play like 12. You play a couple of through. She was like... An instrument? No, ma'am. Uh, 12 instruments. Okay. What do you play? I'm, I'm sure there's wind. So there's clarinet, saxophone, flute. Um, so I, I own five, I own five, but I know how to play like over 12. Okay. So I'll just say the five, my five main instruments. So piano, flute, ukulele, electric guitar, and a bugle. A bugle, which yes. is Okay. <laughs> a bugle what so somebody's in the military like what why bugle not trumpet not you know other horn why bugle That's um i got it uh we went to the tomb of the unknown soldier um on our washington dc field trip and then we went to mount vernon and i sung the national anthem there and then they had a gift shop which was so cool and i saw it was like a bugle it was just there so i just bought it Okay, so you I love trying... instruments. Okay, so so you taught yourself how to play it? Yes, I I'm self-taught on oh. all my instruments. Just okay, just just brilliant. See, this is what I'm saying. This is what I'm saying, Rachel, like we're, we're all something special. Why would you fangirl over anybody when you could play 12 instruments? Stop. I know. <laughs> yes, you're dope. Uh and you sing. So, um what's your favorite song right now when nobody's around? to belt out at the top um, I um I don't know it's probably it's um it's um called Temp Temple Shangrilla it's by Joe Keery it's a really good song I love Joe Keery as I well <laughs> right so now I, I'm learning somebody is this a is this a k-pop artist no <laughs> who is this person He's Joe, Joe, he's an actor too. He's an actor. What has he been in that that I've seen? Stranger, Stranger Things. Okay, all right. So is he? Which which kid is he? Steve. He's Steve. Okay, and he, he can have really good hair. Yeah, yes, he does have good hair. Okay. Oh, it, yes, yes, yes. All right. I think I've read somewhere that he can sing, and he's got a song out that you like mm -hmm. a lot that you can belt out. Yeah. Now, to, all right you're not you're gonna give us a little bit of it <laughs> um i don't know it's it's just kind of so just maybe one stanza one one give me the give me the chorus a little something um i could sing the first verse okay um let me down this is freaking me out all of I don't I don't even know the lyrics. Hey, that's, that's good. All right. I just wanted to see if you had the vocal. She got him. She got him. She got him. All right. All right. Thank you, everyone. Look, look. <laughs> but you also, Alana, never know. You never know when somebody's listening and they the, the recording contract could be right there. Yeah. Your stage fright could get in the way of your your success. All right. So, Ms. Rachel, what is yes. it that you're going to contribute to the world? So as a Jewish girl. Um, on both sides, my grandparents have been war children, and my father actually came from an extremely poor family. My grandma on my father's side, um, Eileen, uh, my middle name is based off of her name, Alina Eileen. Um, her family was actually slaughtered by the Nazis, and um, my grandfather on that side was one of the soldiers fighting against the Nazis, and he saw her, and he offered her a stack of potatoes to eat. And they got married and they had five children. 
Wow. And, um, and that, that is really powerful to me because my dad growing up faced a lot of racism and he is now a doctor, a very successful doctor. And he used to live in the, in the poorest neighborhood, uh, in the smallest house. So for you watching this country, cause I remember when it was okay to be a person mm-hmm. <laughs> now, now I saw the proud boys they are out there this right. week and they were out there with the drag queen story time. I'm like, no one's inviting you. If people want to take <laughs> their kids to listen to a drag queen, read them a story, that's their, their choice. Why are you here, sir? And so <laughs> why are you at a synagogue bothering people? Why are you at a black lives matter route? Mind your business. I don't understand. Yeah. What is happening here? So how do you feel as a young girl watching, because I, I talk about this often, like the 1930s in Germany feels very similar to where we are right now, where people used to be quiet about their hatred. Now they're out in the streets with their Nazi flags. They're flying Nazi flags and Confederate flags in America. Mm-hmm. I don't understand uh, and you're in Florida, which is a whole other thing. You, your Your reproductive rights, I mean, it's just all the rights. It just feels very uh, draconian and feels like we're going backwards really quickly. Yeah. The Jim Crow, the Jim Crow law in Mississippi, that it's like, what what's happening? Okay. What's happening? So, so uh, to that point, Rachel, you know, your unique background gives you insight. Do you, are you, are you hopeful? I would like to say I am but my mom actually came as a refugee status from Uzbekistan not that long ago because it was crazy there for Jews and she had to come over here and I would like to say I'm hopeful but just just before I was born somebody actually that my parents were in a small town in Wisconsin and somebody actually wrote on our garage door you Jewish pigs with a swastika so I would like to say I'm hopeful, but um, people should just let other people be. And I think that that's really what I want to serve. I want to serve respect. Yeah, I love that. I love that. It It's curious, again, what are they afraid of? Because that's all tiny fear, mm-hmm. fear, and, you know, it's just a lot of fear that mm-hmm. makes you want to destroy other people so that you don't have to confront your own mediocrity or your own inequities as a person like all of that is on display but it doesn't take away from the hurt that they're exacting on folks so you know we we can't ignore it is the for point. sure for sure yeah and i actually enjoy writing so i might i might have to write something about that when i'm older why wait why wait <laughs> i'm starting right now Yes. Yeah. Um, I think about Anne Frank and I think about all of the young people from Maya Angelou who wrote, you know, about her girl experience. You, you know, you're at the right age. And I just think about myself at your age, like all of the things that I am happened then. I was all of those things then. For sure. So you're all of the things now. Don't wait. Don't wait. Yes. Right now. Write it. Yeah. If, I mean, if people are not gonna let you be great, do it anyways. Cause I remember when we were get when I was getting admission into the Carnegie Hall building, the there was this random man on the street and he was like, Are you supposed to be in there? I'm like, Yeah, I'm supposed to perform in like an hour. He was like I was like, Yeah, I'm supposed to go in there, see the name tag, I'm supposed to go in there. Yeah, that no one can, um, was interesting. I was uh, talking, I was interviewing somebody last week, I think it was, and they were relaying a story of, maybe it was a program that I watched. A man, uh, his name, last name Falk, would go out and interview, I think it was like, like a journalist, interview people who were formerly enslaved. So this was in the 60s, 50s, 40s, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, and he, and he, fashioned himself as an ally of, you know, black liberation. And and he said to this man at the time, you know, uh, I'm fighting for your rights. 
And he said, oh, I'm sorry. You can't fight for something that I was born with. A man that was formerly enslaved. God gave me rights. I come here with rights. You can deny me. You can block op opportunities, but you can't deny me rights. So to your point, Ilana, we're born with rights to do all of the things. People will try to get in the way. People will try to stop you, but it is your birthright to do, to be free. Now, now we got to navigate human beings who try to get in the way of that, but we have to fight. So we're going to fight. Yeah. Um, our teacher is a, a, a member of Narrative in Nubia. What is that? Who is she? Or uh, he? Uh, her name is Amy Parker. Okay, she, Amy Parker. Um, she majored in um, uh, Black history. Okay, I'm I'm loving Miss Amy Parker. She is she on the line right now? She no, she's okay. she's teaching her class right now. And she teaches both of you, or just just one of you? She, she teaches does teach both of us. Yeah. Okay. All right. So she she uh, suggested that y'all interview me. Yes. Yes. Okay. And she and she thought I would say yes. Uh, well, she was like, she was like, she didn't, she wasn't sure, but she was, but when I told her about it, cause she's like your biggest fan. And so, so when I told her about it, um, she was like jumping for joy. Like she was Seriously. so happy. So excited. She, she was came, so excited. She came in here yeah. and she's like, I can't wait. I swear she did a cartwheel. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> quiet part. Quiet part. I, I said, yes. I didn't know if she, if. You would said my, my teachers in newbie, I would have done it like without hesitation. But obviously I did it without hesitation anyway. So <laughs> there's that, right? Because I feel like um this this age group, you guys, um, not I know it sounds corny, but you're you're the folk that are going to save and rescue the world. So we have to pour into you as much as possible be in community, be there, be available, make sure that you have all of the tools and weapons that you need and um, not be ignored, be listened to. So good. Okay. Sure. Hello. Okay. Did you have a, uh, any other questions? Uh, all of these written down and, and just a tip, uh, you budding journalists, you don't have to ask everything on your sheet. Those are just guys. <laughs> Those are just uh, touch points because the, the the goal is to have a conversation with people. The goal mm -hmm. is to listen enough to be able to continue to, to follow a thread of where the conversation is going. Allow that to, to develop. Don't don't be stuck on your your uh, list of things that you came in to ask. But make sure you get everything that you came for as well. Mm -hmm. But don't let that you know handcuff you. So um, thinking back to what we said a little bit earlier about like Black history and how Black people were treated, I want to say that we have a project every year where we write a really long essay about um, a subject that we were maybe taught in class or that we want to discover. So I wanted to take on history of lynching in America it's a really tough topic. I saw pictures. I had I read about people, and it was like really hard to study. How do you, how do you deal with the emotions of seeing racism in the world and just back then? Um, it's part of the training of a journalist is that you are not in the subject. You're outside of it, right? Which is why I'm not a journalist now. So I'm inside the subject now. But, you know, at any point in time, it's like, uh, I don't know if y'all watched uh, Vampire Diaries. Did, was that something y'all watched? Vampire Diaries? No? Okay. What about um, uh, nothing on the CW? Y'all don't watch anything on the CW? Okay. All right. Well, I watched Vampire Diaries and the vampires could turn off their humanity at any point in time, right? Like if, if you know, they wanted to not feel and just go on a rampage. It's similar to that as a journalist where you are coming in to a space and like I've covered plane crashes. I, I remember one uh, assignment I was sent to, uh, I think it was Queens, there was a fire and three little kids were killed and I had to go talk to the grandmother, right? So emotionally you're like, I don't wanna bother this lady. She's lost her grandchildren that she was taking care of and they're dead and she's outside crying or the plane crash. 
these folk just lost every, you know, their, their loved ones. I have to go talk to them. Mm. So that's my job. So I have to talk to them. So how do you approach that? Right. Yeah. Mm. So with humanity, with, with empathy, but you have to get the story. So it's similar, you know, um, all of the things that are happening, we have to be able to talk about them because the people, and I always think about it like this right now, I'm, I'm, everything I'm doing right now is for a hundred years from now. So if you think about your assignment as a hundred years from now, somebody's going to read this, what is it that I want them to know? Mm-hmm. It makes it a lot easier. So now it's not about you. It's not about the emotion. It's about a hundred years from now. This is the only way a young Rachel or a young Ilana are going to know about this period of time through my lens. What do I want them to know? Mm-hmm. so that's that's how I approach it uh we just have a couple more things for okay, you okay fine fine but, <laughs> so I have just returned from a field trip to Montgomery where among other things we went to the EGI Legacy Museum and the Peace and Justice Memorial um in a previous picture I saw of you when I was researching your name uh I noticed Ida Wells behind you uh her work was part of the inspiration for the museum and memorial what role do you think people who came before us, ancestors, play in shaping us and what we do? The uh, ultimate role. They they are everything. All Everybody that is breathing right now is here because somebody came before them. I think a lot of times we think we're the first. This is why I don't get caught up in the best and the first. And the, yes. <laughs> somebody, somebody, you know, I, I'm, I'm big on collaboration. I am great, and I can say that with my full chest because I tap into greatness all around me. So it's not just the greatness of my ancestors, but it's the greatness of the of my team. It's the greatness of the people that contribute. I borrow from everything and everybody, and that's the only way you can be great is because it's not you know it's not to center you or yourself. So the ancestors are everything. For sure. And you don't realize that Ida B. Wells' journalism allowed for her. I mean, I'm not being threatened. Well, maybe I am, but I don't, I ignore it. But her life was threatened. She couldn't go back home. They blew up her printing press. They killed her, her friends, which what, which is what led her. They lynched her friends, which is what led her into, I'm going to go and talk and, and write about all of these lynchings all over the country. I'm going to travel. And I think about, you know, as a woman traveling, as a black woman traveling, a black woman with children who she named after after herself and kept her maiden name. You think about that, right? In the 1920s, she didn't take her husband's name. She kept her name and fought for women to vote, even though Susan B. Anthony and and Katie Stanton or whatever, didn't want her to even march in the parade because she was black. So they only cared about the vote for white women, not for black women, but Ida B. Uh Wells like, I'm out here, I'm out here. So you think about that and then she, the way she died I, this is actually what led me to even doing in class with Carr Dr. Greg Carr from from Howard University we had a conversation about Ida B. Wells because I was studying her southern horrors and and I realized she died from like a urinary tract infection or something you know and I think about something so easily cured but I also thought she couldn't just go to the bathroom <laughs> think about something simple right this is what your journalism has to bring you to right this woman's traveling all over the country, throughout the South, talking to people who have been lynched or family members have been lynched, and she couldn't just go to the bathroom because of segregation. So how often did she hold her water and what impact did that have? She left far too early. She didn't live, I think, she only thinks she made it to 60, barely 50, I think, with five children. I'm like, that's something that we don't even think about, we take for granted. As, as women today that you can just go to the bathroom when you're traveling she couldn't right right how did that impact her health you know mm-hmm. i'm not even talking about the stress and the trauma the life you know they told her if you come back they're going to kill you like so you just got to leave your home and everything and like i i don't even know what that looks like so my job is easy is the point that i'm making you know and so ida b wells did the hard thing so that i can do what i'm doing today and hopefully i'm making it easier for you I'd be a possible self, you know, hopefully me showing up the way I show up will make it easier for you. Okay. Um, so 
Matt Gates is our congressman. Rick Scott and Marco Rubio are our senators. What advice do you have for students who want to become politically active? Run for office and, and then vote. Uh, historically, uh, 18 to 20 something year olds are the least active voters in the country. People over the age of 60 are the most active voters in the country. You're letting your grandparents decide your future. Stop doing that. There's more of you than there are them. Stop, stop letting them take, take control. Yeah. You have a voice. If they can send you to war, you can vote. Vote, run for office, run for office. You also, I think in Florida, have an amazing young man that just won. Uh, he's sitting in Congress. Hold on, let me see if I can find his name because uh, there. This is this is the blueprint. Uh, for what I'm talking about. Come on, uh, Florida, youngest, I think the youngest, I think he's the youngest congressman. Let me see, what is his name? And he's a Latino, Ma Maxwell Frost, 25-year-old Afro-Cuban from Orlando is in Congress. Maxwell Frost is your blueprint. He's 25. Y'all get out there and run, make these people scared. And they're counting on you not running. So here's the secret. No one shows up for primaries. Mm -hmm. So let's look at Matt Gates, for example. Let's take him because he's very problematic um, <laughs> on so many levels. Uh, let's let's go. So I go to Ballotpedia, and I'm going to tell you Matt Gates when he ran for election the first time. Let's go all the way back. Let's go to 2012 because they break down, um, you know, how many people showed up. So let's go to the primary. Come he's on. too scared to come on our podcast. Well, I mean, what would he say to you? You know, what what could he possibly have to say to you? You know, that would make and you're going to ask him some real questions. So that's probably scary for somebody that is gaslighting the world. Yeah. Uh, all right. So Matt Gates in his primary uh, in 2018. Let me just go back even. Let me see. Did he run 2018 in his primary? Um, the primary election. A whopping 100,000 people showed up to vote. He got 65,000 votes in his primary in 2018. I say this to say that I think there's like a million eligible voters. <laughs> right? 65,000 is not is not a whole lot of people. No. Saying somebody could have run against him. And I'm always like, I don't get caught up in political parties. Why not run as a Republican? If your goal is to get this man out of office, one of y'all can run as a Republican against him. And I know you, with your young, amazing selves, can get 70,000 people to show up and primary him. It's going to be a story if you know how media works. Imagine this. What's the age? Let me see if there's an age limit, because this is also, that's a that's a good story. Uh, the, the minimum age, let me type this in, I'm sorry. Minimum age to run for Congress. I'm, I'm, I'm telling y'all something right now. All right. In, in Florida, in Florida, I think the lowest age, uh, age of candidacy, what are the qualifications? You have to be at least uh, constitution three qualifications uh, for the Senate. No, I need the house. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Senate is 30 to run for a house of representatives. I gotta be more specific. You gotta know what to ask for. Uh, to get your answers okay house of representatives you have to be at least 21 okay Ooh. all right rachel you're gonna be 21 sooner than Ilana. <laughs> all right. yes 21 get yourself out there put it in when you're 20 start making people know that you're gonna run and then if you're in his district which is the orlando i don't know where, where y'all are or do you have friends in the orlando district let's primary him with somebody that, you know, you know, I mean, because we show up for the general election because that's the president. That's a, but the primary, very few people show up. Mm -hmm. Now imagine if you got a lot of people to show up for the primary, you can get a hundred thousand people to show up for the primary in Florida. I know it. Both of y'all yeah. campaign together. That's a wrap, and no one's checking for it. That's how AOC got into Congress. Nobody was checking for uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Who's this young bartender running for? How dare she? So the guy, the Democratic Party didn't even check for her. And she went and knocked on everybody's door in the Bronx and Queens. And they showed up because who's knocking on my door? The guy that's been representing us, have, he hasn't been here. He hasn't been She's here. showing up. All right, I'm going to go vote for you. And she won. And she's still in Congress. So I'm saying that you guys, yes, 
you have all of the power right now because you have the numbers and you care. Mm -hmm. You care about this country. You care about the world, the, the freaking climate. You know that the climate change is, is real. You actually know that, you know, yes. Oh, yeah. Um, my friend and I, we actually are going to present to our city council. We're going to present a bill that we made up about biodegradable beads and how, like, it's like hurting the earth. Yes, more of that. Keep doing that. Keep doing it because, um, yeah, having Papa and Mima uh, decide your future is not the move because they they're at the other end of things, and for them, they you know, right. they're not planning for a hundred years after they're not here. You know, mm -hmm. they should be, but they're not. They don't care. They they care about my my money right now. I don't want you to, to raise my taxes, and, and they don't care about anything else. So, get involved. That's my advice. We have one final question that we ask in every episode of our podcast. What do you want your legacy to be? Okay, my legacy. All right. Um, when I close my eyes at 120, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna get up. I'm gonna make me some tea. I'm gonna enjoy the sun sunrise. Make me some barbecue. It's gonna be beautiful. I love barbecue. Let the sun go down. I'm going to go to bed. And at 120, I'm not waking up. When that day happens, I want the world to know, not through me, but through all of the people that I inspired, gave platforms to, that I existed, right? Through other people. So that would make me really happy if there are like a thousand versions of myself in all mediums doing that same work. That's the legacy. Mm -hmm. That that's a win. I'll be happy. Yeah, that's a wonderful legacy. Yep, that's it. Professor right. Hunter, thank you so much for spending so much time answering our questions. You are an inspiration to so many people, including me. You're welcome, Alana. Stop reading, Rachel. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, and yes. Thank you for tuning in this episode of the Pensacola People's Podcast. Join us next week for another exciting episode. That's all for today. Thank you for listening to our podcast.